Hello, everybody. This is episode seven in my series on the legal sex industry in America. More specifically, I've been talking about licensed prostitution in Nevada. If you'd like to see the episodes that have been released to date, just go to thecolememo.com slash sex. Once again, that's thecolememo.com slash sex, and you can see all of the episodes that have been released to date. This conversation was recorded sometime in November of 2022 and features the perspective of Torin, Torin Rochelle, who actually wrote this book. And uh, since the episode's recording, this book has come out. Uh, I've personally not read it yet, but Torin sent me a copy and I will read a, a note that she gave me. Cole. You gave us a voice when nobody else would, and for that, I am grateful. Thank you, and I know you will go far. Love, Torin. So if you'd like to get this book, which is about, it's called Behind the Pole, The Truth About Exotic Dancing, I will have a link in the podcast description so that you can purchase this book and support Torin. Most of this conversation is audio only. I'll pop in from time to time to fact check myself and to show some videos that we referenced during the conversation. You're listening to The Cole Memo. I'm your host, Cole Preston. Every episode is released in audio, video, and transcript format. To find the transcript, audio, or video version of any episode, please refer to the description of the episode that you're listening to now. Within that description, you can find a link that will take you to our website, which will display the transcript for this episode and the platforms where you can find this episode in audio or video formats. If you're unable to locate the episode description on whichever platform you're listening from, simply note the episode number and visit thecolememo.com. From there, you can find the corresponding episode and then you'll be able to access the audio, video, and transcript version of that episode. You might also find any links that we reference during the episode so that you might be able to do your own research. If you're not listening to this episode of The Cole Memo on Patreon, then you are listening to this episode later than our patrons. To become a patron, go to thecolememo.com slash Patreon. Once again, that's the Cole Memo com slash p-a-t-r-e-o-n it's a great way to support our show one of the best ways to support our show is absolutely free subscribe to or follow our show leave us a positive review from wherever you're listening to us from favorite this episode give it a thumbs up leave a comment or post a review your engagement and support is appreciated once again i hope that you enjoy this episode of the Cole Memo today, if I hadn't mentioned it already, I think I did, is December 22nd, 2023, and I originally recorded this conversation. Pretty sure I mentioned this already, but just once again, I originally recorded this conversation sometime in November of 2022. Enjoy this episode of The Cole Memo. Torin, thank you so much for sitting down with me today. Um, 
we're talking about legal sex work in America, specifically Nevada. And, um, you have experience in that. And, uh, why don't you go ahead and, uh, I guess, tell us about your experience in the legal sex industry, and then we can get into, uh, you know, the meat and potatoes of our conversation today. Okay. Well, first off, I was a shift manager, um, for Dennis, the late Dennis Hoff. He had uh, four brothels and a cabaret in my area, Northern Nevada. I worked at two of them as shift managers. And I, I can tell you right now, you know, it was very, I was very poor. The pay was poor and I stayed because it's hard to find a job in this area without commuting. But I can, you know, I'll follow your lead, but I can tell you some of the stuff I've seen, I've, I've seen with uh, staff abuse and, you know, the way some of the girls were treated and how they got stuck there. Yeah. Well, you, you already answered the first question I have for you. So, yeah, I think we can segue right into that. The first question I was going to have for you is how did you get into it? It sounds like it was the closest option for you. Yeah, I, I used to commute to work and, it, and I have a son. And I went to Job Connect, and they're, they're the ones that kind of roped me into it. You know, they made it sound really glamorous, like I was going to make a lot of money. And the only thing that kept me there was we got to work four 12-hour shifts in a row, and then we had four days off. That is if you shut your phone off, because they always wanted you to come in. But that was the only thing that kept me there so I could spend time, you know, with my kids. Well, let's dive right into it then. Um as best as we can, I'm going to try to steer you and make sure we talk about all these things. Cause again, mm -hmm. the spirit of this is to shed light on it, to hopefully improve these situations and hopefully never let these things happen again. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, let's dive right into it. You mentioned employee abuses. I don't know where best to start, but, uh, yeah, give us an idea of some of the things you felt you were exposed to and others were. Well, as a shift manager and any other like staff member, you know, I, I had to supervise the independent contractors is what we called the working girls. And I had a bartender, usually housekeeping, driver, host, hostess. And um, we all got minimum wage and we would make more money if the house booked, which you probably know that, you know, we'd bonus. Um, a lot of the stuff I saw were, and you can stop me if I if I trail off. I was just going to ask you what you meant by that real quick, because I don't know that I do know. So About like the what? house, you said you would make more money if the house booked or well, something well, like that. Like, for instance, on my shift, when I was on day shift, um, it was a 12 hour shift. And if the girls booked parties to, um, totaling three thousand dollars, I would get a hundred dollar bonus. Six thousand, I'd get two hundred. It stopped there. That would go on my paycheck. And then we split tips with the bartender, but that, that was gotcha. a rarity at a couple of the houses. You know, you rarely got that. Gotcha. Thanks for explaining that. So, so I mean, what were, what were some of the things, I guess, just off the top of your head that, that I guess specifically stood out, um, I guess for, for the working girls themselves, um, um, well, a lot of the working girls, you know, they would uh, fly in, take a bus or drive in and they, they would walk in. The, usually they were on their last leg financially. That's why they were there. 
They, they walked in with nothing but debt for the house. You had to pay the driver. You had to go in. You had to pay for doctor, any kind of supplies you need, room and board, sheriff card. Um, you'd pay that. And you'd, you'd walk in in debt. So your first parties that you booked, you'd get nothing. And a lot of these girls thought they would walk out with like 20 grand a week. I don't know who was telling them that, but they had to jump through hoops and put themselves on the internet too, to get anywhere. And they, they, they didn't like it. They would have to borrow money to get out because they'd get so far in debt that they were taking low parties, you know, doing a lot for a little just to pay off the debt. And, and it was like a fishbowl. They couldn't get out. Very few, you know, did well. You know, they, they were somewhat educated women and, and they made a career out of it. And I know a lot of those women that did make a career out of it and did it for years. Um, I'm not a medical specialist, but a lot of them can't have babies now because of the physical, you know, abuse on their bodies from it. The brothels were trailers put together. They were very old. Stuff did not work half the time, like running toilets, you know, electricity not working or toilets overflowing. Plumbing was bad. You know, it was cold. We went with a broken front door in the winter for like a month, you know, and I've never seen stuff like the carpets cleaned or any kind of deep cleaning in there. They talked about renovating, but you only renovate once in a few years, you know, so it uh, to me, it just wasn't sanitary. And a lot of the staff that we hired that would stay on were almost uh, unemployable in other places. They were like drug addicts, you know, and um, or just no experience, no no transportation. They, they lived nearby and they didn't really want to work. Um, I worked for Dennis Hoff and he saw the staff as an expense to him, you know, he, he didn't call you by your first name for like the first year or two you worked there. And he treated the all the working girls in all of his brothels like his own personal harem. And a lot of girls would, would um, party with his friends. Like, I don't know, can I say their names? Like celebrities? Yeah, yeah. A few have been like, said before, so yeah. You know that Ron Jeremy had charges on him. Or rape. Mm -hmm. I do know some of that happened at the ranches and the girls didn't want to talk about it because they thought that because he was Dennis's friend, he would have, they would have to go meet him in his uh, room because Dennis would let certain customers stay the night there in the extra rooms and just ro roam the place. And they never wanted to talk about it. There was another celebrity, Bob Zamuda. He had a lot to do, you know, with uh, Andy Kaufman or whatever his name years ago. He would come in and party. Dennis would pay half of his parties and girls came out crying with bruises because they thought they had to party with him. You know, he was very cheap. Then they had the message board members that would get to go there and stay a whole weekend, eat the food, walk around drinking and maybe party once, you know, keep all the girls busy. And it, it there really wasn't money in that, but he would let like men just do what they wanted. And Dennis, he was a throat grabber. You know, girls came back crying from being with him. Before he died, there was rape charges against him. A brand new, uh, cute little blonde came in and it was on my shift. Uh, he called me up and said to get a driver to take to his home 
he was having lunch with her and she went and came back and when she, and he drove her back she stayed like a couple hours later and her head was down she was walking slow i asked her if she was okay she kind of waved me off and went to her room the next day i guess she went to the hospital and pressed rape charges and this is when he was running for assemblyman and stuff the state police got involved my hr called me on my days off and asked me what happened and i told him exactly what i saw because I got that feeling in my gut the minute I saw her walk in. I said, something bad happened, you know, and they brushed it off. This, when the state police did come in to question people, they did it when I wasn't working there to the other lady. And then the chief financial officer took over. We don't know where it went after that because he died. You know, this was just regular girls thought they'd have to go out and sleep with him and his friends, right. you know, because of who he was. Uh, the general manager at the time, Suzette, I could tell she didn't like that going on. She wanted it to be a little more professional and didn't like the girls that were sleeping with him because they, they would um, abuse the staff and get away with it. You know, it, I felt sorry for them and I knew I had to get out of there. I was listening to negotiations with these customers through the intercom and some of them were just really horrendous and disgusting to me, you know, for little money. And, and I'm, I'm surprised they're still open to be on. I'm surprised they're still standing there. They're just, they're a wreck. They're trailers, you know, and. Yeah. You know, yeah, I, sorry, were you? No, I'm done. Okay. No, I, I loved everything you had to say. And one thing I was going to ask you that I thought, you know, is, is tough for these girls. Like, like you said, that many of them I heard, uh, have felt the need to, you know, sleep with him, sleep with his friends. And in fact, he even in many of his press interviews talks openly about the fact that he's, he only, you know, has sex with working girls and many of them that are his own, you know? And so that is something that is pretty clear. I mean, by his own, his, his own admission and, and everything else. Um, but one thing you said that I didn't even realize that I was going to ask that I felt like has been, you know, there's like not, so it's like, you've got this legal industry going on, but there's not any real regulatory authority. The regulatory authority is the sheriff that you're essentially paying off. I mean, you, you are literally paying the sheriff for the card, right? And it's kind of a holdover for the 1800s. Um, so that's your regulatory body. I don't know that you're necessarily getting, uh, you know, it's not like there's like food inspections or, or anything going, I, you know, the equivalent to the sex industry, like a sex inspection, or I guess what I'm trying to say is, you know, some of these girls, when they had these things, who did they go to, right? Nobody to go to, you know, that nobody, and, but, some of them felt like they deserved it. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, they they okay. felt like they deserved it. They they couldn't, and no one would would hear them because they were in a brothel. Yeah, but did did you just mention though that uh, you had like did you have an HR department or something there? We had one HR lady. She did the hiring and the scheduling. Um, and to be honest, a lot of the staff that were there were her personal friends, and they had like a little clique going on, which I wasn't mm -hmm. in, of course, mm -hmm. and. There was a lot of theft and, and lies. And I remember at one point they had a post-op woman, I guess that, that you call it. I'm not against trans or anything like that, but they had one in the brothel 
the, the girls didn't feel comfortable sharing a bathroom with her. And all HR told her to do was to keep it quiet that she was post-op. She was going to let her party with these men and not, not disclose any of that to them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of other things that you said that I've been trying to ask. Um, I've been interviewing both current and former, uh, legal sex workers or working girls, however you want to call them. Um, and many of the things that, uh, they've pointed out, I just wanted to go through the list to see if you had anything to add. Mm -hmm. Uh, the food sucks, no good food. Uh, some places, I guess the bunny ranch isn't, but maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, some locations in Nevada are what's called lockdown brothels and you can get like fined for, for leaving and such. Some places, uh, some counties, you can't have a car, some counties you can't live in the same county that you're like registered to work in. Um, I'm just kind of going down a bullet, like a laundry list of things that I think are very wrong with the sex industry. Did I bring up any other thoughts or do you have anything to add to the the stuff I just brought up? Well, we, we have a, we had a driver on duty and they would take the girls wherever they wanted to go, really like to go to Walmart and get a few personal items and stuff. You know, they could leave. Usually their first two weeks, they wanted them to be locked down. They, you know, they had a big sister the first week to train them and um, they could come and go. They could live here and they could do their, they could either tour from out of state or somewhere else, or they could live local, have a house and, and come and work it like a regular job. But the shifts were 12 hours. There wasn't much time off. And they, they wanted you to post on the message board create a hundred posts a week on the message board, which was, it just clogged up the message board. Nothing got across, you know? <laughs> right. Um, there were gates and they were locked, but the girls could leave any time. In fact, they used to, uh, when weed became legal, they would buy weed and go hide it behind there and say they're going for a hike and go smoke it. Yeah. Um, it wasn't a complete lockdown like, like some places might be. Yeah. Can you no, tell me a little, hmm? I was going to say, can you tell me a little bit about, but if you were about to say something else, I just am very curious to hear about the lockdown brothels. It sounds like they have to work 24 hour shifts in the lockdown brothels. Do you know anything about this? I believe the Love Ranch South, which I never worked at. It was closer to Vegas. I think you were on 24 hour shifts and it was lockdown. I had never been there. I know the ones up North, you had a 12 hour shift. You had to be there. Um, Unless you were so great, you could work by appointment only. Mm. Um, right. It was just, uh, it was out there where it's located. You have, you have to go quite a ways to get into town to get anything. Yeah. So that's I'm another sure. thing. I'm that's not sure if I'm answering. <laughs> no, you, you, that, that, I mean, you only know what you know, you know. So right. um, another thing you've brought up is that there are girls that come in and some girls are the exception, right? They can make money, they can book on their own time, and they are likely the ones you see on TV talking about how much they love the job. Uh, the people you never hear about are the people, I, maybe I'm wrong here, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like the people you never hear about are the people that you were alluding to that are not there by choice. Um, right. Yeah. We had four brothels and one was the Bunny Ranch all the top bookers went to the bunny ranch to work because they got most of the publicity and the, and the good PR. Uh, the houses we worked at were kind of like the lower houses. They put the troublemakers, 
the ones that don't book so well in it. And, you know, the ones that are, um, how can I say, physically challenged, they put them there so we wouldn't make any money. You know, they just, that, they just hit them out there just to fill the beds. What do you and, mean and physically challenged? Well, do you mean like heavy? I'm I'm sorry if this is like a bad assumption, but you're, can you, yeah, but I don't want to assume. I don't want to put down the women there. There's something for everybody, but there was a time when every woman I had there was over 50. Then there was another time where I've had some obese girls that, that flew in and I knew then and there that they, they weren't going to be able to pay their way out. It's not that I'm insulting them or anything, but they just went into a black hole, you know, and I guess the advertising to be a working girl, you know, they try to make it sound like you just, it's, it's a revolving door and it's not. And um, these girls would come in with nothing, absolutely nothing, because the email that went out from HR said, uh, your sheriff card and stuff will be deducted out of your first party. So they made it sound like, oh, it's going to be paid like that, you know, and, and some girls just don't, they don't have the negotiation skills. They don't have the experience, you know, and they get stuck there. And then they end up uh, working for minimal, you know, doing a lot for a little and still getting no money. And then they can't get out of there because they flew in, you know, or took a bus. And they're, a lot of them try to call family and friends and, and beg for money to get out, you know. And yeah, to me, it was like a black hole for them. Yeah, I guess maybe to put it in a different, uh, maybe different words, um, there's a, a person that I didn't have the opportunity to speak to, but I will be including in my final uh, kind of episode on legal sex work. And their perspective was having worked in Nevada brothels, and they even worked in brothels overseas and everything else. Their perspective was the way that Nevada like, has legalized sex is not legalized prostitution, it's legalized pimping in the desert. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought that was interesting how she said that. In other words, nothing is made for the, to per, like, there's very little, let me say, to protect the working girl. Most of it is to protect the customers and the pimp himself, themselves. Right. Um, we had, they had a contract. I think it was a one year or two year contract that they were independent contractors. They had to work a schedule. They couldn't work at any of the other brothels that, weren't owned by Dennis in Nevada for a good amount of time or he could sue them. And they had to go by that. They had to go on a schedule. Um, there, Dennis would come in and if he liked a girl, he had a fetish for either African-American women or blondes. You know, the blondes he would take out and parade and, and they'd be his girlfriend for the week. And the African-American, sometimes Hispanic girls, he would have them meet him at his quarters, at his bungalow. Gotcha. It, it just, well, to me, it just wasn't good treatment, you know, for girls that wanted to come and make money. Yeah. So I've, I've done a little bit of research into the bunny ranch and the way that some of these, the brothels work. Is it true that at the bunny ranch, like... You basically have to work your, I mean, of course, like, I know this feels like it goes without saying, but let me like set the stage here. Um, you have to work your way up. And by that, I mean, obviously you have to work your way up. Like you say, when you arrive, you're in debt. But another thing I've been told is like, you start in like the shittiest room and then, but like the best woman gets the best room. Is that at all true? Yes, it is. 
Wow. And to me, they were just bigger rooms that they worked into. They weren't all that. Oh. Like I said, it's an old trailer. Old trailers, the small room you could barely breathe in. And then the bigger rooms, but they were all part trailers and, you know, falling apart. It, it, to me, it was just uh, a facade, you know, just a bigger room. You work up into this room. And then they had like the top book, the top bookers of the month, and they'd get like a designer bag, you know, and that was about it. They'd get acknowledged, nothing else. Interesting. It, you know, the, uh, one thing I'll add, um, the Dennis and Suzette would make everyone call them mommy and daddy and then try to pass around Mother's and Father's Day cards on, on Mother's and Father's Day for everyone to sign. Nice. That's kind of weird. That's mental That's pretty... abuse to me, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. They're, they're your pimp. You're, you're sleeping with men and giving them half you know, and then they call you mommy and daddy. To me, that that's just a total mind flug. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've got a few other questions, but I just want to throw you like an easy one that I think would just be interesting to hear about. I've heard that like the drama between the girls is ruthless. Like you'd think that they'd all be on the same team, but in fact, I heard like, especially when Dennis was around that it was kind of a competition for his attention and they would even try to sabotage each other, like by putting bleach in their shampoo or have you heard anything like that? Yes. It was always drama all the time as a shift manager. A day didn't go by when I get out, just get on shift trying to have my coffee that two girls would be arguing over Oh, she flipped her hair and line up. It was always minor stuff. And they would pick on the, the top bookers saying that they're dirty hustling. And really, you know, they just got picked and, you know, make more money just to try to run them out. We had a lot of girls like that. And if you got rid of one, two more would show up, you know, and a lot of the staff would stir the pot too. It wasn't yeah. just the girls. You know, I didn't get along with with the other shift managers. They were in a clique and they tried to sabotage me. Really? How so? Do you mind? Well, when I was new and I was on graveyard shift, the two day cashiers that I worked with, one was the head cashier. She was my boss. She uh, stole some of my bonuses. You know, I would um, book an outdate on my shift and I could get a $175 bonus. I called her because I told her, well, the guy will be back. He's going to run his credit card in the morning. Is that okay? Will it go on my books? She would say, oh, yeah, it's going on your books. Don't worry about it. Let him go, you know, and, and he'll do it. I come in the next day thinking I'm going to have some extra money. And I hear, do you know what happened? He can't pay till Thursday. And I'm like, is it still mine? She's like, no, it'll go to on whoever's books Thursday. You know, and it was hers. And then another one, a lady booked, uh, there was supposed to be a bonus of $8,000 for an outdate, and it started an hour after my shift started. She put the money on her books, and when I walked in, I said, that's supposed to be mine. She's like, well, you know, I haven't bonused in a while. I said, no, you were supposed to make it into a deposit, because she was telling me, you got to call a limo and make all these reservations for him. You know, and she got the money and she was good friends with the one HR lady and lied to her. So she got yeah. the money. I did all the work. And this, this happened all the time. You know, they there was no one to have your back or help you. 
Yeah. And really quick, just for our listeners, uh, frankly, you know, some of these people have never heard about any of this stuff before. I know what you mean by the books and stuff, but can you kind of just explain a little bit of what you meant before we move on to our next topic? Well, when someone gives you money, you know, to pay to either, if you want to party later, like come in the next day or later that night, uh, they give you money and want to pay for it. Then you got to put the money in a deposit box and it goes on the books of the person who's booking that party. It goes on, it would have been gone on my books because the party started on my shift. You know, it's how much money you make on your shift. And she put the money on her books, which was day shift. It did not happen on her shift. It was supposed to be a deposit, but she put it on her books and I got nothing. Mm. You know, I, it. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask, is there a lot of abuse with that? I feel like you're just writing shit down. It's ripe for abuse. Yeah, there is a lot of abuse and then there's a lot of manipulation. You know, they'll let some girls get away with whatever they want if they only book on their shift. Mm. You know, like, yeah, you can go to the casino for a couple hours or or you can go out for a few drinks while you're supposed to be working here, you know, and do this and that. But you got to if you set this party on my shift, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I had girls canceling $1,000 parties on my shift when I worked Braves and would reschedule it on the other lady because she was messaging them through her phone, you know, tell them I'll do this and this and this for you, you know, stuff that you're not supposed to do. Interesting. Well, um want to just pause for a second before I move on to my next question. Is there anything else that has come up that I guess you want to take this conversation in a direction towards? Cause again, I've kind of got my own ideas. I've got notes and stuff, but just kind of revisiting these thoughts. I wanted to ask you, has this brought up anything else you feel compelled to like that we haven't mentioned so far? And if not, we can, you know, we'll have plenty of time. Uh, well, I'll tell you one thing that I wanted to get out there because someone very close to me was bartending at the bunny ranch. Um, they turned the septic guys away and all the septics got full. And the one at the bunny ranch one night overflowed in the foyer. It, it overflowed. It went down the front steps, sewage I'm talking about into the, um, the parlor, the foyer and, and all over the place. And instead of calling someone with hazmat suits or, you know, taking any interest for the general manager, or the owners to come and look at it, all they did was told the manager on shift that the hostess had to clean that up. There was no towels, no tools. All that, They had to use the old, the same mops they used for the kitchen to clean it. And they had to use booking towels. And I know when that person got off that night, she had raw sewage all the way up her leg. They were sick. They were having asthma attacks and sinus infections, you know, all kind, all kinds of hazardous stuff. It got everywhere. And that's how they took care of people. And that's how they took care of their brothels. They just put a Band-Aid on stuff. And that, and I tried to, I forgot who I messaged and emailed, someone in, in the health services or some in some paper, and, and they didn't even cover it or look. Because it's true. Uh, I know Dennis did pay off cops. I don't know how much, when and where, but the cops hardly ever came there. That is insane. Um, I got to ask, like, if I could, like, it, that's a thought that's always come up for me is this Band-Aid, the, the, the idea that you just said that they just Band-Aid things. And I mean, Dennis Hoff put even in his own book, he acknowledged or, or some he put somebody else's perspective in the book that was saying, you know, when I arrived at the Bunny Ranch, I expected this gleaming, 
you know, brothel that I saw on Tara Banks. But what I arrived to was a row of trailers at the end of a dusty path, you know, falling apart. Yeah, sure. The, the entrance is bright and everything, but the back is like, smells like an old strip club, reeks of sex and cigarettes. Um, so I'd like to take a moment to show you what I was referring to. And I'd like to be able to give you the opportunity to look this up yourself. So if you go to YouTube, you should be able to find a video that was released eight years ago by MSNBC. And the title of the video is Should Prostitution Be Legal? I'm about to share an excerpt from this clip. Let's take a look at it. Here is the clip. Let, okay, tell me about Cammie Parker. Cammie Parker okay. in the book. Tell us okay. who she is and let's talk about her. Cammie Parker's a girl that came to work for him. She worked illegally in Vancouver. She worked in New York City. She came to the Bunny Ranch and I started dating her. I dated her for two years along with a lot of other girls I was dating. Then I lived with her for less than a year. Okay, this was a girl that I didn't like what she was doing. Mm -hmm. And I found out she was doing drugs with another girl, Barbie girl. And one morning I woke up and I left. I walked out and never left. I never said a word to her again, ever. Okay. When you have consistently promoted the Bunny Ranch as somewhere that's beautiful and that's clean and that's like a home. Mm -hmm. And Cammie Parker stated in the book, when we pulled up in front, my heart stopped. It wasn't glamorous at all. It was dilapidated and gross. A bunch of trailers sitting at the end of a dusty dirt road in the middle of nowhere. This wasn't the shiny pimp on Tyra Banks had promised at all. When we got inside, it was worse. The entrance was bright, but once you came through the foyer, it was small, dark, and dingy, like a strip club out of the 80s. It smelled like sex and ashtrays. So your dream that you're selling on the message boards of the Bunny Ranch mm -hmm. is not what they're getting. Not what she says. Now, why did she stay there three years then? Okay. Three years. All right. She stayed there three years. She's lying. Because, because you can see from the data and you can see. You Listen, I've met a lot of prostitutes. Right. I've represented them. I've cross-examined them. What? Maybe like one-fifth the number of you that you know? And you know how psychologically fragile these women are when you meet them and how much further damage they become. Have you, you know what PTSD is? Yeah. Okay. So listen to this. 68% of 854 people in strip club massage and street prostitution in nine countries met the criteria for PTSD. Do you okay. agree with that? I, I, the only reference I have is the Bunny Ranch, and I know it's not like that there. But you have if, how if many it, brothels? If it you was have? that, if, I have seven of them. If it was that bad, why did she stay three years? Because she was making a lot of money. She loved the notoriety. She loved going on the TV shows. She loved me putting her in, in, in men's magazines. She loved the, the glamour and the money that went with it. That's why. Now she hated it when I dumped her. Okay. And I ended the relationship and wouldn't speak to her. And she's going to say these things. Now, she's also called Judith Regan in the last few days and said, I think I was probably too hard on Dennis in the book. But I have the okay, nerve. I have the nerve back. to put my criticizers on uh, in I there. do. I give you a lot of credit for that. But I think you also have to. So that was Dennis's response to people characterizing the Bonnie Ranch as just a bunch of thrown together trailers. So I guess my question is. How, were they not making enough money to do 
to to fucking make it like a like you'd think you would want it to not like you would think you would not want that opinion of your brothel. Like if I ran a brothel, I'd be like, I want people to be like, man, it was the nicest place ever. There were no stains, you know, like you just. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm well, just if you walked funny, in, but... if you walked in, you'd look at the bar and area and it's pretty dark with big screen TVs around, you know, with videos of the girls. I don't think most people really noticed how how dirty it really was. You know, especially guys, you know, they come in and have a few drinks and some of the girls that were there, I don't think they had much better outside of there. They wouldn't be there, but it, it was nasty. Um, especially that sewage leak that caused the person closest to me to leave. And, you know, they, and our maintenance guys were on drugs. One of them, they had to eventually fire because he admitted he was coked out. They were mm-hmm. doing, and I, and they told me they were doing edibles, psychedelics, uh, cocaine, drinking. One of them asked me to put some rum in his coke, and you know they were and tr- going around trying to fix things, but stuff would stay broke for weeks. They didn't know what they were doing. <laughs> I think now they got one maintenance guy there, you know, for the all of it. Yeah, that, yeah, that doesn't sound like an efficient way to do maintenance. High on psychedelics, that sounds like a good way to have a good time, but. Uh... <laughs> They were having Anyways. a real good time. Yeah, I'm I sure. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. Well, um, that was a very interesting story. I, I just wanted to pause again. I, I mean, any anything else? Because um, I can, like I say, I have uh, a few more questions that I want to ask you that I think may bring up other thoughts. Um, but again, I just kind of wanted to pause for a moment in case this is bringing up anything for you. Well, I mean, other than the way I was treated towards the end, and how they started, we had a new general, another general manager take over. He was a guy who ran the cabaret, but uh, Madame Suzette, the general manager, called her his son. He would have a name. You know, we had like a, you know, those lighted boards that send messages across. I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Oh, my gosh. You know, like uh, announcing, it would announce like the top bookers and all the birthdays. Okay. Yeah, but it would have like a like a banner or something like that. Yeah, it was a banner. I'm sorry, I I'm totally having a brain fart. It's okay. Um, <laughs> and, it, and and it would say stuff like Prince Christopher rocks. You know, he 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 was this little pixie boy. You know, and when he would have his birthday in February, Madame Suzette and Dennis would let him have a party at the cabaret, the strip bar, when um, it's open. And they would tell the girls and everybody, okay, go over there and take lots of dollars because this kid, Christopher, he would go dance around the pole and stuff. And and these guys would pay, they would pay cover to go in there and watch girls, not watch some, you know, gay guys swing around the pole. He got anything he wanted and she tried to promote him to general manager after Dennis died. And he was horrible. You know, he, he just looked like a deer in the headlights. And I quit because of him because he tried to write me up and, he got in my face, told me, you understand. He was cussing at me and stuff over some paste. I, I left some paste stubs on the desk because I was in the office with him. And my boss, the head cashier, had a phone call. I stepped out so she could take the phone call. So she takes a picture of these paste stubs and um, sends them up to Christopher and writes me up saying I'm leaving money out, <laughs> you know, because I let my supervisor in there. And I just walked out. It was so twisted. It, it's like you guys... You know, he was cussing at me, and uh, it, it was awful. It made me cry. Yeah. I, I was—I'm a 57-year-old woman. You know, I don't—I don't take that abuse. Yeah. 
Well, I want to take a moment to just say, I'm sorry for what you've been through, you know, um, both what you've seen, um, but what you just, yeah, like I say, what you've been exposed to, it's, it's awful. And and I, I appreciate you taking the time to tell us about this. No problem. These are just examples of what people had to go through, you know, they couldn't hire anyone. No one wanted to work there. So they'd fire someone and hire them back. And, you know, people got away with anything and, and it wasn't the first time they cussed at you and treated you like crap. And yeah, you know, if so, I think of another story, I'll, I'll let you know. I'm cool. You know, it's been a while. <laughs> yeah, no worries. And I mean, we can always do this again too. So yeah. Um, yeah. Have you heard about like kind of, I hear about it all the time, these outside pimps taking advantage of, and actually I heard a term, I finally heard a street term for it. They say, and maybe I'm getting this wrong, but I'm pretty sure my memory is correct on this. Their bottom bitch, their top earner, um, that the, the girl that they can trust the most they will give the option, you know, cause they're pimping. They'll give the option for her to work in a brothel. And she likes that cause she can play the game. You know, she's a good working girl. I guess I'll just stop filling in what I've heard. Can I ask you the question? Have you heard of outside pimps? In other words, not the legal pimps, not the licensed pimps, but kind of this outside game. Absolutely. A lot of them. And a lot of girls refer to them in the brothel as their husband's. And if they weren't making the money that um, they thought they would make or their, their husband want, thought they would make, um, they would start stealing because they would panic. Uh, some of these husbands were ruthless. And, and yes, there, there was a lot of pimps. This brings me to my next question. Um, but really quick, the, um, well, actually, let me ask my next question and then we'll kind of wrap mm-hmm. this, uh, put a bow on this. Um, th- Nevada seems to be a conservative area. Dennis Hoff was running as a Republican. In fact, he called himself the Trump of Pahrump. Um, I'm trying to understand how legal sex fits in. And I'm, look, I'm sorry, but just from my perspective, I live in a very conservative area, actually. And I don't agree with a lot of the people that I live with. In fact, I disagree on a, a lot of things, but I understand them. And what I do understand about them is that they're not okay with legal weed and they're not, they're not generally okay with the idea of legal sex. And so can you explain to me, is there something in the water in Nevada that's different with conservatives? Like what, how, how is this continuing to go on? Is it, is it just the money it brings in? For starters, I I can approach this from different angles. Dennis would uh, donate generous amounts of money to stuff like the library, the boys and girls club and, uh, local local um, things here, like a dog park and stuff, just to make himself look good. So, of course, the elected officials, you know, would kiss his butt and look the other way. Um, <laughs> when they were doing a voting thing to close the brothels, the one thing that we knew would happen to our area, a lot of these working girls have set roots in this area, you know, all around uh Dayton, Carson City, Mound House, a lot of them have moved here and live here. If you close these brothels, these women are going to be having customers coming into our neighborhoods. They fly in sometimes to see these ladies. They're going to be flying, coming into our neighborhoods, and I could have one living next door and having all these men coming in and out. You know, I don't necessarily anymore think that they need to be open. They're not contributing anything to society. 
but you got to think about how long they've been here and, and how many people live here that are working girls. Do I make any sense? I guess. So you're saying that you would rather, you don't want them open, but you would rather them not be doing that business in your own neighborhood. You think that's maybe the perspective of most, most people in Nevada? Exactly. And one thing I can, I can bring is, um, we have some of the younger girls or some of the girls that look really young and they cater to pedophiles. It's, it's well known. They cater to pedophiles. And there's quite a few. I don't know about you, but I don't want them in my neighborhood. I would like to see it all wiped out. And I believe that if these women had better careers or, or better options, or, you know, if they had more money and better lives, they wouldn't be there in the first place. They're playing on, you know, yeah, they're kicking them while they're down is the way I look at it. Yeah. Now, just going to, I'm going to do this a few times, by the way. Um, I think this is good, though, because like mm -hmm. I say, I understand conservatives. I've been doing enough research to where I understand Dennis Hoff's arguments and the legal sex, sex industry's arguments. So here I am, the legal sex industry. So you have a problem with uh, sex workers. And I'm just again, I'm being devil's advocate. I hope you know that. Mm -hmm. I'm not. Um, you have a problem with sex workers who cater to pedophiles. Would you rather pedophiles fuck kids? I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying if, if they close the brothels and these ladies were living in our neighborhoods and these pedophiles trolling through the neighborhoods, would you feel safe if you have kids? Okay. I see what you're saying now. I see what you're saying. That's well, just an example. That, that's a small portion of the clientele. Mm -hmm. You know, some of them are good. They're high rollers. They just, you know, want to come in and experience it. Yeah. Um, it. It sounds very contradictive because I, I'm up in the air about, should we close them all? Well, yeah, I'm mad at them. I'd say, yeah, but I got to think about the people there. And I've still got some friends that work there and it is off the highway. You can't see them from the highway. You just see the signs. Yeah. You know, I, feel I don't like the way everybody's treated there. Yeah. And I feel like the issue is the way that it's structured. The fact that it has to be so far out in the desert, so far away from everything. Like again, one of the perspectives that I looked up uh, online and I'd be happy to share with you because this person is very honest about the fact that they did not enjoy their experience in Nevada brothels. And they say that they've kind of been fodder, frankly, for this, for this entire series. It's how I knew to ask some of the questions I asked and everything else like that. And one of the things she said though, is, in Australia, which is still not perfect by any means, um, she said one of the good things is, though, that the, you know, brothels are in town. You can go home, sleep eight hours, you know, and and all these different things. It's a little bit more in society and, and as a result, kind of naturally monitored. You know what I'm saying? It's not out of sight, out of mind, right. which I feel like is Nevada. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying that's the simple solution. I'm not saying move them into Vegas and everything's going to get better, right? Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not saying that. But it does seem strange that they are all out in the desert. And frankly, I want to tell you another inspiration that that gave me this, that started me with this. There's a, there's a documentary called Chicken Ranch. Have you ever mm -hmm. heard of it? Yes. I, I heard of the Chicken Ranch. I haven't seen the documentary. Please do. It's on YouTube. Uh, it's it's by a documentarian named Nick Broomfeld. 
Um, he's probably maybe not happy that it's on YouTube, but while it is, damn it, check it out. Cause I don't know how else you can stream it. So please check it out. But the inspiration, there's this woman named Mandy and she's a sex worker. And there's a scene towards the end of the documentary. She's crying. She's explaining that, uh, her, you know, there was a disagreement with her and her boss and she's trying to leave. She's calling and from what I've been able to find after the documentary was released and he, he cut the documentary off after this scene, he comes in, he says, there's going to be no fucking film. If you ever release this, I'm going to sue the fucking shit out of you and props to Nick. He fucking released it. So fuck Walter Plankinton, uh, the <laughs> former owner of the chicken ranch. But my thing is not to get lost in a, in a, you know, just a specific example. It's, I really feel like the desert, <laughs> like, you know yeah there's some zoning there's some zoning laws with the brothels there's a couple laws first to be open they have to be on their original structure so if the whole thing burnt down to dust it's gone they can't rebuild it i don't know if, if you know that but your listeners might not know it it has to be in those trailers you know the way they are they can remodel them and, and do whatever but it has to be the original structure i'm not a contract or anything but i do know that law and mm. there has to be a lower population I, i'm not sure what the numbers it's, are they make it i actually do know this part i don't know exactly what it is but basically they adjust it by census so that it's mm -hmm. always it's always the number that is las vegas so that it will never be in las vegas right right it has to be like in a rural kind of area yeah. where there's not a lot of people um yeah that i do know <laughs> Yeah. And so it's just, it's just crazy. Like I say, I really feel like it being out in the desert is the reason that it's ripe for abuse. So I kind of, that, that kind of leads me to my next question. I mean, frankly, you know, many of the people I've talked to have wanted to remain as anonymous as anonymous as possible. You included, is there a reason to be scared? Well, I, I live pretty close to it and I, I but do just generally, I don't mean to make it about you, but do Not people have, no, I don't fear for my life or anything. I just don't want any cyber attacks, you know, like on sure. social media. And I run into some of these people once in a while when I'm out shopping and they, and I work in a casino. I see them. I just don't want any face-to-face -face conflict with them or for them to do anything to me. I, you know, I've already had my Facebook hacked. Well, that was my fault. I left it open in the office and I just X'd out of it. I didn't sign out and the uh, manager there that didn't like me uh, just let everybody go to town on it. Oh. You know, but I, I just don't want any conflict or anything. I understand. I understand. I guess the reason I ask is because um, I had a guest on who uh, was open about who they were and uh, they were a Hell's Kitchen chef and they helped to cook for Dennis on his, la on his last two birthdays. And as you know, on his last birthday, he didn't see the morning. Um, and there is one headline that I've been able to find that Zach Hames, his for former assistant, alleged that Dasha, <laughs> a sex worker, killed uh, Dennis. And uh, I've shared that online, and uh, you may have seen it, actually. I've been told that that wasn't true and that Zach um, may have had a history of starting drama. 
Is there any, do you know about this story? Do you think there's any merits? And the reason I just to give you the floor and the reason I'm coming from where I'm coming from, I've heard that Dennis Hoff died a year later, Zach died. And I also heard that Dennis Hoff's pilot died and I'm sorry, but when you hear shit like that on the internet, it's easy to get the poster board and start going crazy on conspiracy yeah. theories, right? Well, I, I don't believe, I don't think that's true. Dennis had a lot of health issues. You know, he had diabetes and he would eat like three bowls of ice cream with chocolate syrup and drink all these sugary drinks during the day. Um, he didn't take very good care of himself. He was going to the Mayo Clinic for some of it. He could barely walk. And he was drinking like three or four Red Bulls a day on top of it all. And Viagra, of course, he was popping it like candy because he was a 70-something-year-old man. And uh, he smoked a lot of weed. So uh, I don't I don't think she killed him. I think she was, if it's the one I'm thinking of for Hell's Kitchen, I, I think she dated him for a while towards the end. I don't, I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's true. I, I, I think she was just, uh, maybe though, I don't know. Maybe she didn't maybe not mention uh, it, but and I want to be clear that she didn't say that. Uh, yeah. she told me about Zach and Zach saying that. And I just Googled Zach's name. And if you Google it, it's like one, one of the first dead? things. Yeah. Zach is dead. <laughs> I didn't know that. Uh, he, I'll tell you about Zach from what I know. He came in on as Dennis's personal assistant. He was fired from a job before for stealing. He was uh, basically using Dennis as a sugar daddy. He was like taking, you know, he was homosexual. He was taking, picking up guys, taking them to Dennis's big properties and stuff like in Vegas and stuff and, and just going into the brothel. And if he couldn't do that, he'd take them in the brothels at night and, take out and steal the alcohol drink for free and go into a, the VIP room with him. You know, he totally took advantage of Dennis. He really wasn't there for, for Dennis. Um, he had a, they had a gay pride parade one weekend in Reno and he had one of the maintenance guys who got fired for cocaine driving the limo. And he came and got one of my, my top booking girl who was, who'd worked from the ground up, took her there Gave them, they had, all they did was have drugs in the car and, and booze, and the girl got fired because she was so high. You know, they had to put her in a rehab. This is the type of person Zach was, and Suzette fired him after Dennis died. The autopsy said Dennis died of a heart attack, which isn't a surprise. Yeah. You know, yeah. I don't think anyone poisoned him. I, I think it was just his time. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, that's, that's crazy. So another, I guess another, like a last few topics that, that have come up a few times, it sounds like drugs are just there. And, and the reason I say that that way is because they, Dennis was always very clear whenever you watch any press, like no drugs. I don't like drugs. I'm not around drugs. I barely smoke. I drink occasionally. Um, yeah. Uh, the answer to that is yes. <laughs> there was all kinds of drugs. Nothing we could really do. We could search rooms, but some of these girls would hide it outside. And like I said, there were trails behind them going to the river. They, they'd stash it if they wanted it. And they, they'd probably sell them in there. Even, even I, a couple of the bartenders were getting high at work and everything and drinking all the booze and stuff. It was just an ongoing party with them. Yeah. Sounds like it. There was Sounds nothing like professional. And as a manager, when I tried to report it, 
or do something about it, nothing would get done. I would just make that person mad at me and, you know, not show up for work. Like I said, nobody had your back there. They, they would look the other way. But if they didn't like someone, they would use it against them mm-hmm. to get rid of them. But that was it. And I had some girls in there that were seriously mental, Ill, mentally ill. They wanted me to give one girl Xanax and then give another girl an abuse because she was such an alcoholic. And I didn't want to deal with medicines and drugs. The abuse was switched out for something else anyway, because she was still drinking. I mean, you had girls that would drink themselves into a stupor. They would pee and poo themselves and still walk, walk around. And, you know, de- if they booked and made money, Dennis would baby them and take care of them and then tell us staff, if she touches another drink, you're fired, you know, or keep her in her room. You know how hard that is? <laughs> That's crazy. Mm-hmm. That's pretty insane. Yep. So did you ever feel like, and I I want to be mindful of your time because I know I don't know what time it is wherever you are, but uh, you good on time for oh, yeah, I'm just fine. a little bit longer? Cool. And like I say, I'd love to chat with you again if anything else comes up or if I come up with any other questions because I've frankly just been so intrigued and I feel like, okay, so I want to be clear. On one hand, I feel like nobody's talking about it, but on the other hand... I want to give kudos to all the journalists that are talking about it. Um, the person that facilitated this conversation has sent me a lot of good work. Um, some from CNN way back in the day. Um, I'm the newsy. There's a few other sources that have done the work. So I don't want to say nobody's talking about it, but I don't feel like enough people are talking about it. Yeah, and so, I yeah. Felt like I was backed in a corner and nobody understood. Cause if you haven't been in a brothel, you know, they don't understand from both from both perspectives, from the staff to the working girl, what what they put you through, and I'll tell you what, general manager would just stir stuff, stir the pot when there was drama. Yeah. And if Can, I complained to her about something, it was like, oh, poor baby, wah wah, you know. Huh. If you made good money for Dennis and Suzette, like you know, if you had a, a customer and had like sixty thousand dollar outdates, they wanted to monitor you and everything you did, and they wanted to push you harder. And if you got top booker of the year, he wouldn't leave you alone. One lady uh, was an alcoholic. She commuted in from Texas and she was doing so good that um, he made her move here. She was renting one of his properties and she was a full-blown alcoholic and it only got worse. I think she went into kidney failure and we had to pull her from outdates because she was too drunk and he kept her as long as he could milk her until she was had, there was nothing left. Then he fired her. That's insane. They didn't care about the well-being of anybody. You know, Dennis would come by and um, get the girls drunk, and then even minors. He minors. Minors alcohol. Yeah. You're not talking about minors like they just got out of the coal shaft. No, <laughs> no. Um, if. They could they could work there when they're eighteen, but you know the drinking age is twenty one. Oh, okay, so that's what you mean by minors by yeah, under twenty one. Young, young girls, you would get them drunk and stuff, and and I'm supposed to, we're supposed to control them, and you know, it's, and it, it was just insane. And the girls would abuse us too. And I'm ta- I'm talking about mental illness. Some lady was so bipolar, and because she had one good customer, she conned into a little money about every three or four months. We had to put up with her. And, she she would just pretty much run the house and throw fits and scream and 
say what she wanted to you and nothing would happen to her. Yeah. I, I found a way to get rid of her. I will not disclose it here, but I, I, <laughs> I couldn't take any more. <laughs> is there, um, is there anything else going on there? Like I'm just, you know, I actually haven't found a lot of like conspiracies about what could be going on at the brothel, but one thing I brothels, but one thing I could find that somebody just said on like a YouTube channel, they were like, the brothels were designed uh, to uh, compromise people. That's why all the rooms are bugged. They use that material to compromise people. Like, is is that recorded? Is there any truth to that? Like, what's... I don't think there was any bugs, but there was an intercom in the office. I could hear everything if I wanted to. And I had cameras in the office up and down the halls and the, and the foyer, but not their rooms. Yeah. In the cat and, house and, show, they had like the cameras in the rooms, but that was just part of the show, maybe. Not, not unless it was their cameras. They didn't have cameras in the rooms, not at the ones uh, I looked at, unless okay. they wanted their cameras, you know. Um, yeah. No, and as far as Dennis bugging it, if he did, he certainly didn't let anyone know. But yeah, girls would get paranoid and think that because they would be in the hall and they would say something about Dennis, and Dennis would text or call him like five minutes later. So, so just to be clear, you're saying it was just like an intercom where you could just hear everything in every room. Could you just like punch into which room you wanted to hear or what? Yeah, that's all I did because, you know, each of the parties had a certain time amount, usually 30 minutes to an hour. And after I'd have a beeper and when that went off, I'd have to buzz into the room and tell them it's time to reparty. But like, how can you, when you just want to listen in, do you just like, like, what, how does that work? You just push the button. It was on the wall and I'd, I'd have to listen in negotiations because a lot of girls would steal. Uh-huh. They would uh, negotiate like say $500 and they'd bring me up 200 to book the party and stuff like that. So we had to listen to the negotiations to make sure that Dennis and Suzette got their fair cut. Yeah, right. That the that the the working girl wasn't taking more than half, right? Right. They even had um, to sign in their tips. Wow. Interesting. Interesting. And so so all of it, like whenever they book the room, they don't get handed the cash or anything. You write it down on the books and then they get it at like the end of the week or something like that or what? Yeah, they get paid daily except for the weekends. When oh. they book a party, I have a little booking card with their name on it and their room number. And they could pay cash or they could pay with credit card. And the credit card never said the brothels. The credit cards would say stuff like Mound House Motel, Joe's Barn Grill for the married guys, you know, and nice. they they pay that way. And then Monday they got in paid for each day if, if they got it. But a lot of them just got cards with no pay due because they owed so much to the house. So, you know, they were in debt so bad and they kept half of it anyway, a $200 party. You had to pay like, I think it was $35 room and board each day and then give them half. You did a $200 party. You only got like, what, $70 out of it? That is if you didn't charge anything else. So, so are you saying that like if if I did a, if I booked a party, but it just didn't cover my room and board and stuff, and let's say it actually didn't cover my room and board, you'd give me a card that said no pay due and like maybe what I owe or something like that or right. what? Yeah, you'd get your balance on how far debt you are. That's so crazy. I don't feel like in any other, I mean, I I could be wrong, but like when you're an independent contractor, it's not like you ever get handed something. Like, I mean, 
Yeah, that's weird. I mean, like theoretically, sorry, my analogy was going to be stupid. I was going to say it's not like you ever get handed something that says you owe money. But I mean, if you do the work and you're an, a contractor, yeah, I mean, sometimes it does come out of, you know, it comes out of your pocket originally, but then whoever's paying you, the, the costs cover it type of thing. So I'm just yeah. talking out loud. I apologize. <laughs> and a lot of girls that went there, they think, oh, I'm not going to charge less than $500 for 30 minutes or I'm going to charge this and that and that. And they get, they go into negotiation and they don't have negotiation skills. And these guys are hell bent on paying 200 and they turn down so many parties waiting for the big party that mm -hmm. they get so far in debt. They have to take the little parties now, you know, just, just so they could get their head above water. It, it's really sad. I mean, it, it's like a, a hamster wheel. Yeah. And I'll so, tell you something else. Go ahead. I had to buy my son's health insurance, which was, they made me pay $300 out of my check every uh, two weeks. Mm -hmm. So my son, me and my son were covered and the health insurance sucked. Nobody wanted to work with him. And my paychecks for four 12 hour shifts ran from um, about $300 to $500 every two weeks. So you weren't even making enough to cover the health insurance is what you're saying? That's what I got after it all. Oh, after it all. Gotcha. <laughs> you know, it's, it, it was, it was horrible. I had to borrow money from my daughter to get groceries and. But they know. had health, they had health insurance. I actually did see something on YouTube. They have health insurance. Well, the working girls, I don't think so, but for the staff, they had to give us health and dental, but it was said uh, the deductible was too high. You couldn't afford to go to the doctor. I, I'm a veteran. I was using the VA anyway, but some of them can't. That's interesting that you say that because the, the, coverage on that back in the day it was like oh obamacare gives prostitutes health care insurance and dennis <laughs> hoff was talking about it and stuff but now you're saying that it was only the employees and that the the working girls never really were entitled to that because they're independent no. contractors no i'm right? sure they might have been able to purchase some but most of them yeah, but didn't. that's interesting. He even had working girls talking and saying like, yeah, I mean, we need, we're, we're working in the sex industry. We need like, that is a total spin now that I know what I know yeah. now. So I'd like to be able to play the news footage that I was just referring to. I recall this being on the news and it, it has stuck with me ever since I saw it. And I was able to find the report online. One thing I want to just say, I just listened to it and it seemed like the sound is only coming coming out of the left speaker. So I don't know if that's how it's going to work when I play this for you all. But here is the news clip, uh, which was produced about 10 years ago on December 17th, 2013 by News for San Antonio. It's on YouTube. If you look up brothel workers praise Obamacare, here is the video. Having this profession, we aren't exactly offered group health insurance. Um, it's also hard because I do have a pre-existing condition, so I'm really for Obamacare. I'm excited. Taylor Lee's pre-existing condition didn't help, but that wasn't the only reason she was denied coverage prior to Obamacare. Before the new law, she and the other girls who work at the Moonlight Bunny Ranch said getting health insurance was impossible because they worked in a legal brothel. And I switched professions and I wrote it down. They denied it because of the profession I'm in. They um, equate us to illegal working girls who have very high STDs and um, aid rates, which we have none of the above. We're legal licensed prostitutes. The girls say it didn't matter to insurance carriers that Nevada's brothels are highly regulated. 
I see the doctor every week. It's state mandatory, and it's, we're tested weekly and monthly for blood. So the new law that allows everyone to obtain a health care plan is very welcome news here. We're independent contractors, so we have to get our own insurance. So this is truly a blessing. We really hope that the kinks are worked out and that affordable health care for all happens. But raves for the Affordable Care Act stops with the girls. Brothel owner Dennis Hoff is not a fan. He thinks coverage for the girls is good, but he's less than thrilled with the new law that lumps his seven small separate businesses together, requiring him to pay for coverage for all. So that was the clip that I'm referring to, and watching it back with you all, I realized that the sound quality was even worse than I uh, thought it was. So folks, I'm sorry if the sound levels were jumping around. I'll try to do some work to make that a little bit consistent. The other thing that I will say after having watched that with you all is that it it isn't exactly like I remembered and how I just kind of said it in that conversation. It sounds like they can get health care. I don't know, though. This is really unclear to me. So what I'm going to say on this one is do your own research. It's unclear to me whether or not Obamacare actually gives access uh, to health care uh, for these sex workers. But that's the clip that I was referring to. I'm glad I was able to show it for you all. Enjoy the rest of the episode. And, you know, they get do they doctor every week and it's an $80 minimum up to 100 and some, depending on if you need blood work or not, that would they would go into debt paying that if they didn't, they couldn't pay it up front. So it was yeah. just adding up. Yeah. So I'm getting, I'm getting to my last question, but you just brought up another thing, you know, they always say the, well, it's the legal sex industry and the great thing about the legal sex industry. And I'm not disputing that this is a better thing about the legal sex industry, but they say the great thing about the legal sex industry is that the girls are tested and condoms are mandatory. And I've been asking the, the, current and former working girls, would you feel more comfortable if the guy was also required to test? And it's interesting. Um, most like, I don't mean to, you know, it just seemed like the, the standard answer that I got was that's um, unrealistic. And I said, but that's not the question. Would it make you feel more comfortable if the guys were tested? And so I don't know, do you have a perspective on that? Like that, it seems like a big hole in the, cause well, as we um, know, or at least I was told condoms don't protect you against everything. Well, the problem with that is when the customers walk in, they want it now. And if they have to test, the doctor's only there once a week or our doctor was, and it takes 24 hours to get results. You know, you might lose customers. And if they test on their own, maybe that would be great if they wanted to, but I don't think a lot of them would go there. It would kill the business. You think so? Because I'm married and stuff, you know. True. And I can yeah. tell you I can tell you something else about a lot of the working girls. The ones that came in on regular tours and then brand new girls towards the end there. I left in January 2020. But towards the end there, over half the girls that were either returning to the brothels or new couldn't work the first week because they all had like an STD. I was gonna ask that. What happens when you do? when you pop positive, as they say, when you get drug tested. They'll send you back to the doctor to get treated and you have to wait seven days to doctor again and get cleared. And sometimes they'll let the girls stay at the brothel, but they can't work and they just become a royal pain in the ass because they're, they're bored just sitting right. there doing nothing. And they end up leaving, you know, after they're clear. 
Um, that's about what they do. And I had one lady that was HIV positive. Of course, she couldn't come back. You know, but they were uh, they were all basically that happened in the brothel. I don't think she got it in the brothel. She was new, but she had said that she was tested before and didn't believe it. So she flew out there and and tried to lie and say they were all false positives and stuff. So she was just going to give it to people. Mm. You know, she just wanted to make money. She didn't care. Got to consider that too. A lot of the girls, they will go bareback for the extra money. Really? Yeah. And they, they deny it, but when they live there and they get an STD, and, and rumors go out there, a guy will party with a girl and, and she doesn't, he doesn't have to use anything and he thinks that's great. So when he negotiates with another girl in the same place, he'd be like, well, so-and-so didn't make me wear one. You know, it gets out. Wow. Yeah, I thought it was mandatory. It is mandatory, but I can't be back there and watch, you know, the guy has a condom. Yeah, yeah, and it'd be a little weird if somebody's just like watching the whole time, like, yep, yep. Hey, oh, hold on a second. It's slipping off. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I know. Here, wait, it's not on right. Here, here's a smaller one. Yeah, <laughs> right. Another right. thing is we didn't have security, and that bothered a lot of girls. And yeah. they tried to explain that security would only cause more problems, but the girls didn't feel comfortable. We didn't really have anyone to call when we had to throw someone out. I, I'm five foot two, and I'm an old lady. You what know, about I, the panic I, button? The panic buttons are in the rooms. Um, you hit the panic button, it goes to the office, and we got to go to the room. I thought it and went so to the cops. That's no, what they always it say. reaches the office. I, I, and, and I'll be honest with you, at the house I worked at, there was a couple rooms that didn't have panic buttons. Nice. Or intercoms. Or intercoms. So you couldn't right. even hear them? Nope. I'd have to go knock on the door. <laughs> wow. So, but then those rooms were totally unmonitored. So maybe some dirty stuff could have been going on in there. And I say that I, sorry, I don't mean to care. You get what I mean by that. Yeah, exactly. And one was, there was two VIP rooms in the one I worked at. They didn't have it. And they were all the way at the other end of the brothel. There's no way I could have got there in time if something was going on. Mm -hmm. And then another, there was a couple rooms where it was broke and they never fixed it. Of course, we didn't have good maintenance guys. So they, they got away with whatever. And uh, and the house I worked at, I'll throw this in real quick before I forget. They had a gas leak. Okay. And the gas leak was going on for a while. We could smell it on the, on one side of the house. We put maintenance orders in every day saying we smell gas. And all the maintenance would do is laugh at us and go in and open a window and leave. And then they found the gas leak and they had to shut us down for a couple days because it, it was it was horrible. They had to dig up the front yard and fix it. And, you know, that that's the condition, the building. That's going back to the building conditions. And I'm sorry, that just popped up in my head. Because, no, you okay. know, I forgot a lot of stuff. Yeah. No, I, I love all these details. Mm -hmm. um, because, again, frankly, if we didn't talk about this, like I'm far away and people aren't talking about this. And some of these details would just die. And, and, and frankly, the cycle would continue. Yeah. You know what I mean? If we don't tell these stories, we can't learn from each other and, and possibly improve the situation, which re leads me to my my final question for now. Um, and I realize this is a big one and we kind of already touched on it, but what's the answer? Okay. You know, what's what is what is the answer? Do you, how do we do this? Because 
because criminalization doesn't work, right? Right. Legalization hasn't been great. So what is the answer? I don't know. Um, I'm just thinking about how long they've been there, but I think the buildings, if you ask me, I'm, you know, I'm not a code enforcement, but I can only imagine that they're pretty close to being condemned. You know, we've had leaks in the ceilings, you know, when it rains and, and, and then Dennis is going to tell me to fix the leak in the middle of the night. And I'm like, I don't, I, I'll put a bucket there, you know, like I'm going to climb on the roof. And the girls would tell me that too. Well, go I'll put this tar- some tarp on it. No, I'm not going on the roof. What's the matter with you? You know, I mean, just wall to wall stupidity. If you ask me, I'm an educated woman. I'm also a veteran. And I, I was a dancer for nine years. When I was a single mom, I've been, I've touched base in the industry and I know how sleazy club owners and stuff can be. I've had to deal with it, you know, it's, but I, I would just say get rid of them, to be honest, at this point. They keep arguing that, oh, we pay taxes, a lot of taxes, but I think we could go without it. A lot of businesses would probably move out in that area if the brothels weren't there. And the only homes that are there is is a bunch of trailers, you know, really poor people that really have no say. Some of them have to work there because they don't have cars. I don't particularly want them around anymore because I've I've seen it from the inside. You know, I was just throwing it out there that the girls would bring it in our neighborhoods because some of them don't want to stop. They've had the same customers for years, you know. So it's like a catch-22, you know. What would be the repercussions if we closed them all and fired all the the staff members and then sent the working girls out? They were closed once for the for the shutdown, but I do believe I heard through the grapevine that uh, Suzette was doing um, escorting out of the bunny. And but a lot of girls, I'm pretty sure, did their own thing. By escorting, you mean like she just was basically continuing to do what yeah, uh, I, I sex were, work? Since, since it was COVID, um, the ones that were there, this is just, I didn't see this, but I heard about it. They got their escorting license, same with the Mustang Ranch, and some, some of the girls were just going out dates. What is an and escorting license? Like, oh, you, can, huh? you, can, you can get an escorting license? I believe they... I'm not sure what they got, but that's what I heard through the grapevine and other people have told me, you know, they laid everyone else off and they had the shift, the shift managers that remained there just sitting there in empty houses because they were afraid to lose them, you know, till they laid a few off. And that I heard yeah, they were I always, I always thought escorts was like a gray area sex worker. Like basically they were like, oh yeah, we're going to party tonight. And that's what yeah. you're paying for. And then coincidentally, we may have sex and whatever you want, by the way. Well, um, most escort escort services, you know, not the brothels, but they'll say the sex is free. You pay for their time. That's how they word it, you know. <laughs> okay. I don't yeah, know. see it. We well, exactly. Allowed, yeah, the girls were allowed to do outdates. You know, you paid a certain amount and had to get the guy's information and stuff, and the girls had to check in. So maybe they just call them outdates. You know, since uh, they had to have the six foot rule and stuff and the whole COVID that they just did it outside of there. Interesting. Um, So, yeah, again, though, is so that so your answer is close them down. But should sex work be criminalized? I I think so to protect them. But, you know, I'm also a free spirit, too. I'm like a girl wants to do what she wants with her body. But the people controlling it are sketchy. And you feel like 
I don't mean to put your words in your mouth, but I feel like what you're saying is you feel like there's no way to take the abuse and manipulation out of the sex work. Exactly. Like you like, could, you like the idea of the free spirited woman that chooses to do it, but you feel like that's not the case. Well, let's, most fa- of the time. let's face it. They're going to do it. And I, I really don't have an easy answer for, for you for closing them down. Me personally, from seeing what I saw, I think they should just, I always wanted to wish I could buy the cul-de-sac and make a big old flea market out of it, you know, for families and have food and stuff, you know, for, for people. But I'm, I can't say no girls aren't going to stop doing it and I'm not going to hate them or, or doing it. But I think this industry here in Nevada, it's very sketchy and there's a lot that goes on that they keep quiet about. And I don't, I'm sorry, that's not a direct answer, but no, it's, I mean, I, I think about the repercussions if they do close them for a few of them, you know, that's what I'm thinking about. I'd like to see them close, but then I'm like, well, where's everybody going to go? You know, I got, one at least working girl that lives near me, you know, she's not going to stop. And so it's, it's the, what I'm saying is it's, it's has roots here. It's grown. It's been around for so long. And some of these girls have been here. I've got girls my age and they're 50 still working. You know, what are they going to do? Yeah. So the question I've been asking the sex workers, I guess, just to put this question a, a different way. And then before we close, I'm going to be devil's advocate one more time, just in case, okay. you know. Um, but anyways, <laughs> uh, the way I've been asking the girls, the working girls, both both current and former, is like, because generally they do, they they argue that sex shouldn't be criminalized. And they just don't think that the perspectives I've heard is that they don't like that they have to do it in that brothel like they would love like like they're fine with the idea of brothels but it just costs so much so like the sex workers themselves can never run them so there's always this huge power differential between the owner and the sex worker um so so what they've proposed is like yeah brothels could be there or whatever but they like they want to be able to work independently they want to do kind of like a hair cutting license like you know, if you, if you get a haircutting license, you can go and you can work at Supercuts or whatever, you know, big mm-hmm. hair salon, or you can open your own hair salon, which could be just a individual one, but it could grow into this imp- enterprise. That's, that's, and, but what I've asked them is, bef- so, so you've acknowledged that there are issues with Nevada's legal sex industry. Before we do a copy and paste into other states like my own, Illinois, Mm-hmm. What would you change? Right. And and they would kind of go down the list of lockdown brothels, all those things. And so you, I just want to guess, ask you, do you think that this shouldn't start in any other state or like, do you think that, cause like New York, for example, just decriminalized sex. I believe they just did. So it's maybe even too early to tell how that's going. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, what do you, what do you think? Sorry. I know I've been talking a lot, but I, I think what they're trying to tell you is they wanted to come and do it on their own terms, you know, and to have to give half of it to them just to use a trailer doesn't work for most. That Does that make sense? And they, they wanted to be independent contractors. They wanted to work in a legal, safe place, you know, where customers came, but it, it was just too, too strict on them, like 12-hour shifts. You work the, these shifts, no others, or you can work more and you got to do this, dress like that. I think a lot of them didn't like that because a lot of them escorted before and they had more freedom. And a mm. couple of them came to the brothels because they were tired of getting arrested on the streets. 
you know, I, I think that's what they want. They just want more freedom. Understood. Yeah. And I think yeah, and paying you got a sixty thousand dollar outdate. I never thought it was fair to share thirty with the house. I always thought that after maybe the first ten thousand they get to keep it, you know. I, I never thought that was fair. And yeah. so a lot of girls tried to take their clients outside of there. That's pretty nuts. Yeah. So, and mm. No, you go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, you go ahead. I've already forgot what I'm going to say. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay. Well, um, this may not jog your memory because, you know, this is going to be me playing devil's advocate again. Um, but again, I'm aware of what I think if somebody in that industry might say, if they, for example, heard, uh, you know, this conversation or whatever. Um, and I don't remember how you said you left, but let me just, just spitball. I'm just going to make something up. Uh -huh. You're just upset because you're fired. You, um, you just burn. You, you just, uh, you're just upset because you can't work here anymore, and that we weren't your friends. That's sorry. I know that might sound like a weak argument, but that well, they that's will use something that. they would say. They will, you know. I, I know the uh, Madam Suzette. They will use that. In fact, she's probably had shift manager meetings and used me as an example for everything she could think of. Um, I wasn't fired. I walked out. Okay. I told them I have fibromyalgia too. That was part of the reason I wasn't feeling well. And they, they weren't supporting me. They were like, um, like, well, you urgent care is open till nine. And I'm like, yeah, I'm doing blood work. I wasn't diagnosed yet, but I was having a lot of health problems. And yeah, I am, I am mad there. I've had, I also have some really good friends there, you know, that, that are staff. And they can say that all they want, but there's more people that leave those brothels that are disgruntled and, and traumatized sometimes than people that leave on a good note. In fact, I haven't met anyone that left on a good note. Let's see what, again, I, again, not, I'm not trying to like argue with, right, with you right now. You've already acknowledged that this is an argument they use, but again, it seems like whatever they, whenever you, you or anybody says something like that, they'll just say, Oh, they'll come up with some story about how you're basically just pissed because you couldn't continue to work there. And you know what I mean? Just the classic, like, oh, it's not you or it's not me. It's you <laughs> type of thing. Well, right? I might be pissed. I am not going to lie. They can say what they want, but yeah, you know, or, I guess, <laughs> I guess to put it in a, so that it doesn't relate to you, I guess to like show you how I'm framing my devil's advocate argument, mm -hmm. um, that quote I said earlier that was in Dennis Hoff's book uh, when the girl was talking about how she went there expecting it to be the shiny brothel and it wasn't, right? And his response to that was, well, then why did she stay there for three years? She's just mad because um, I broke up with her and any girl that breaks up, you know, gets broken up with is going to make up shit and blah, blah, blah. So you see how I like tried to frame that in a different way for you. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I just wanted to explain myself because I didn't want you to think like I was just being an asshole. So. Yeah. You know, that's I, any place. I wanted you to try to try to defend that uh, because frankly, I feel like that if, if anything were to come out of that, it'd be that, you know. Well, I mean, they, they can say what they want. In fact, usually when people t uh, switch jobs, there's a reason they're not happy there. Um, yeah. I, I did a job for four years. After Dennis died, I stayed on a year longer. Yeah, he died in 2018. 
yeah, I, I stayed two years longer thinking that there would be good changes and Suzette tried to make good changes. But on top of that, they, they came cracking down on us and making all these rules and stuff that we couldn't really enforce and making people the scapegoat. Yeah, they can. I, I'm human. I've made mistakes. I never got fired, but they can say what they want. The ones that, you know, I've, uh, everyone that's quit there, you can interview them and they're angry. Was there you know, ever a... It's, hmm? Keep going. Sorry. It's like post-traumatic stress disorder. When you're there and it's going on, there's so much going on, you know, you don't realize how bad it is until after you leave. But I, I used to get nauseous sometimes going to work. Wow. That's what I was about to ask you is, was there ever a time maybe that you like, I don't know, justified or you were just so overwhelmed that you just couldn't even pump the brakes on the whole thing, you know? Yeah. Um, one of the reasons I stayed, like I said earlier, is I liked the four days on and four days off. I really didn't want to work full time, but that gave me enough time to homeschool my son and do what I got to do. Um, that that was like the number one reason I, I stuck it out. I thought, oh, I can deal with this, you know, but there's so much it, in most work environments. There's so much slander and, and illegal stuff and sketchy stuff going on and nastiness. It's, you know, not maintenance, not taking the trash to the dump enough, you know, to where it's overflowing and you got used sanitary products all over the backyard behind the brothel on the ground. And, and then you got coyotes and animals eating them, you know, it's, yeah. and I know I'm jumping all over the place, but they, they can say what they want. And yes, I am upset. And I was upset for a while. I, I wasn't happy about the way that I was being treated and I was getting sick and tired of the drama and I wasn't making enough money to put up with it. You know, there was no reason for me to stay. I had another job a week later. Nice. I didn't even, I, I walked out on a whim too. I didn't have plans. I'm Cause I, I know people, you know, I'm a smart woman. I can get it. I had a job a week later and I make more money. You know, of course they're going to try to cover themselves. Well, she was terrible. She did this, she did that, you know? And it's like, well, then why did you keep me there for over four years? There you go. You know, you can say, you can say what you want. They lied about uh, me walking out too, you know? They did? Yeah. um, When I, when they came to write me up over those pay stubs that were sitting there, because I was in the office with it, I was waiting for the girls to come by so I could give it to them. Um, The general manager brought a pay stub from another ranch, threw it down in front of me, cussing, saying that, that uh, my boss, Kim, managed to sneak this out you know said that it was mine that she stole it how and they wanted to show me how easy they could be stolen and I'm like okay well give me that and I'll put it in the safe I don't want it to get stolen again and he's like well actually it comes from the sagebrush ranch you know we just wanted to show you how easy it is I said well she didn't take it then it wasn't easy it was just I told him I can't I, I thought I could trust my supervisor in the office to have a private phone call while I was standing outside the office with the pay there that she wouldn't take it. And she told me, nope, you can't trust me. And ba- and I thought at the time, well, I don't want to work for someone I don't trust. Yeah. You know, they left. I got on the phone, called my husband, called my daughter and another friend, told him what happened. And that I was leaving. It was liberating too. I drank a bottle of wine, celebrated. <laughs> 
Nice. And then called my friend at another company and interviewed and got on there. Nice. Well, I'm glad and that. Then, you know, just go ahead. Have you interviewed any good people that are happy with it and love it? Yeah. Well, really? that's what they say. Yeah. Yeah. I interviewed one person that told me, uh, I think they worked at Sagebrush, which I th- I think that's one of Dennis Hoff's old. Yeah, um, I, I work next to it. Um, she told me at the beginning of the interview that she couldn't say anything bad about the brothels. She's told, I. she said, I just want to let you know I can't say anything bad. I said, okay. Folks, if you'd like to see the conversation that I was just referring to where a sex worker told me she could, couldn't tell me anything bad, check out episode number four in our series on legal sex work. Once again, if you go to thecolememo.com slash sex, which you can see in the uh, URL bar here at the top of my screen, you'll be brought to this page. And towards the bottom of the page, you'll see all of the episodes that have been released to date. The episode that I was just referring to was episode four featuring Kiki Lover. Let's take a look at the moment that I was just referring to because she's actually going to return in a future episode. And I ask her about that moment and she confirms what I recalled. Let's check out this moment and then we'll get back to the episode with Torin. So I'm about to play the moment that I was just referring to. One of the things you had mentioned before our last interview and you just alluded to was that like, well, let me just say what you said before our last interview. You're like, hey. My employer says I can't say anything bad, (laughs) you know, and so uh, I wanted to ask you, like you mentioned before we got on toxic and stuff like that. What did you mean by that? You know, what do you mean my employer? Maybe I'm remembering incorrectly. You said somebody said not to say anything bad or or something like that. So who like Sage? I think so. Yeah. Cause that's where you were. That's where you were at. Yeah. But maybe I'm remembering incorrectly. I smoke a lot of weed. So <laughs> no, I didn't say that about uh, my current partnership. No, 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 not your current partnership, your former one. Oh, you're my former one. Yeah. Correct. Um, Sorry. I didn't mean to. You know, back then in that place, we were very much not able to speak up. We was not. We were not at all. It was just very, you had no opinion type of place. You had no opinion. You couldn't speak. You yeah. Know? yeah. Like for an instance, when that shooting happened, fuck yeah. it, let's talk about it. <laughs> yeah. When that shooting happened. So you can tell that uh, that episode is going to be great. That will be epi- uh, That will be Kiki Lover's return. Uh, again, though, I just wanted to share that moment to show you which episode I was referring to and to tease Kiki's return to the Cole memo. Once again, if you want to find all of the episodes in this series that have been released to date, go to thecolememo.com slash sex. Well, that's good. Yeah, I'm glad some people like it, but it's not for everybody, and they're rough on people when it's not for them. Um, there, there was a lot of abuse towards the oh, staff. I want to be clear. I meant to say she was told she couldn't say anything bad. Oh well, there you go. <laughs> 
Yeah. So, so yes, I've talked into, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, that's okay. You were, you were, the point that you were going to make actually still stands, I feel like. Um, but, but I just wanted to be clear because I could see how you may have misunderstood me when I said, ah, oh, like, it'd be like, if I said, I don't have anything bad I have to say. No, like she was told, <laughs> she was told she could not say anything bad. Yeah. Well, I can comment on the food. Yeah, um, please. There was, there was plenty of food in the brothels. I'll try to add something good. There was plenty of food in the brothels. We had a uh, deli bar that we would, enter, we would um, inventory every day and they delivered fresh cold cuts, uh, potato salad, vegetables, salad stuff, bread, you know, anything you wanted, sandwiches, um, fruit. They did have that. Now our house, we changed out regularly because I would eat my lunch there. So I made sure that some of them didn't go in there. The food would rot. And then they delivered dinner every night. A van would come by. Now the food wasn't always what some people ate, but they would have a steak night, a turkey night. There wasn't much variety, you know, in the time of week. But they did have food there. And there was a, a water cooler and coffee, all the coffee and tea you wanted. And you could buy drinks at the bar. But some of the girls wanted to just have something to gripe about, really, because there was there was something for vegans and everybody. Sure. You know, I, I noticed when Dennis died, it started getting worse. They started heating up frozen chicken nuggets and calling it dinner, but... You know, there there was some good food there, you know. Yeah. Well, that's that's a good thing. Are there any other good things that you would have? Like, I'm just, you know. Well, my schedule, I liked the four days Yeah, you off, said you liked your schedule. Um, yeah. and, and not having to waste so much gas commuting to work. I like that. And I got along. I, I made some good friends there, you know. Of course, we were all there together for 12 mm -hmm. hours. We had some good stories. I'm sure. You know, it was just, you know, a select few on the staff that was sketchy and stealing. And a lot of the people, they didn't do their job. They, you know, they'd be too high to do it, honestly. And I'm a, I'm a pothead, but I don't do it at work, you know. Yeah. And, you know, that those were the two good things. It wasn't gourmet five-star food, but, you know, it, it was dinner and it fed the whole you know, you weren't, it was part of your room and board. Oh, gotcha. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Well, this is, this is crazy. I mean, how do you look back on those? How do you look back on that? Like, oh my God, how did I stay so long? <laughs> yeah. Of course I have a good job now. I work in a casino by myself. It's a small one and I, I make good tips and I, I don't have, I work alone. It's up for customers and I like it. I only work four days a week. But most of the complaints I had at the brothel were just not having my back, you know, as a shift manager, moving the good girls that booked up to the bunny ranch so we couldn't make any bonus money. Um, when a girl would get in big trouble or a staff member would get in trouble, instead of firing them, they put them at either the Kit Kat or the Love Ranch. And I was like, and then we had to deal with them. And there was a lot of mental illnesses and drug addicts and girls with pimps there. Oh, the, I was kind of shocked to hear about like the fact you said there was a lot of elderly people there. I got a, there's a lady there that she's a, a vintage porn star. She's about 65 years old, but she looks good. 
Good you know, for her. there's a few huh. that that still got it going. So Not you're saying, yeah. So you're saying though that more than a few of them, their bodily functions wouldn't even work anymore after they got out of the business. Yeah, like, I've met, I've talked to at least three or four girls that were top bookers that can't have babies, and a doctor told one that she would have to either give up the industry or have a hysterectomy. What's going on there? What's going on? It, it's rough on your body. I had a girl, and I and let me know if I have give you too, too much information. She was new. She went in on an outdate with someone else, and this guy was so rough on her. She didn't want to say no because. By the way, you doctor. share as much information yeah. as you want to. Was your comfortable? He with. was. He was in doubt apparently, and he he wanted her to know it, and he would put her pin her legs up and just pound on her to where she had to go to the hospital. You know, because I think because these girls are working girls and they're professionals and they do it all the time that they can do whatever they want to them and this kind of stuff happens or like um, anal, you know, roll a girl over and try to slide it in the wrong place and, you know, all kinds of stuff. Had a guy that I called the party and he didn't want to stop. So she managed to hit the panic button. I had to go. I was so mad. He was running his mouth. I picked up his, this is unprofessional. I picked up his clothes told him he was leaving, ran down the hall and threw him over the fence. I said, if you want your clothes, you're going out there to get him because he was refusing to leave and everything. And, you know, so he had to go naked and get dressed in the parking lot. <laughs> That's funny. I mean, not I'm not security. I can't beat the guy up. What else am I going to do? Yeah, that's insane, though, that you don't have security. And again, one of the biggest things that I just apparently misunderstood is that the panic button does not call the police. I Because I was... Oh. That's the one of the main things most working girls say is that the reason I'm okay with giving half and paying room and board is because you're giving me this legal platform, this safe place with a button that I wouldn't have on the streets. This is the, you know, the thing they say. And it sounds like there's just a lot of holes in all of that. Upon further reflection, I wanted to revisit this moment. I said something to the effect that I feel there's a lot of holes in the argument of safety. And I don't know, I just... I almost disagree with what I said there because while it wasn't, it was not the way that I thought it was. In other words, anytime I ever saw mention of a of a panic button in the brothel by the sex workers, they were always claiming that if they pressed the button, that it called the police immediately. I mean, look, while that's not true, it's also not untrue, I would say. If somebody hit the panic button, I've talked to enough perspectives. In fact, this next episode uh, will include a perspective of somebody that has been on the other end of the panic button, and they will come down there with weapons or call the police. So, and or call the police, I would say. So, I just wanted to be clear that it's not that the panic button doesn't get uh, these workers help. It's just not as I understood it to be. Um, I understood, I thought it was like you hit the button and like when you hit the button, it was like, uh, you know, the local sheriff department, like, hello, uh, what's your emergency? We know that we're getting a call from a sex worker, but of course that'd be kind of crazy. Honestly, if you think about what that would take to set up, it's like a number that automatically dials the sheriff's office. Anyways, I just wanted to be clear that while it wasn't what I thought it was, it's not, it's not, 
I don't know. I just didn't want to mischaracterize what it was, even though it wasn't what I thought it was. So just wanted to pop in with that. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Yeah. And and another thing, they cannot lock their doors from the inside. They can lock their closet and some of the rooms have a safe, but the, they can't lock. Well, that's a safety issue too. You don't want the guy to lock the door and beat them up. But they can't right. lock their doors, so when they sleep and stuff, and you know, you got guys in there. We got we got to keep a close eye, but we can't see everything. You know, mm-hmm. they're supposed to not go beyond the parlor without an escort. But some guys have been drunk enough; they they sure have tried. Well, again, I want to thank you for what you've shared today because you had a very unique job and you saw and were exposed to some things that uh were frankly crazy and like i say in the spirit of uh, trying to prevent that cycle from continuing i am very happy that you were that we were able to get connected so that we could share your story um well, and share some of these things i've never done interviews i hope i'm helpful and i'm just pulling stuff out of my head that you know come to mind so i, I hope i was helpful Oh, you were more, more than, you know, um, it's been really hard. It's been really hard to have an honest conversation like this because I'm trying to not look, I don't know if these girls, some of the girls I spoke to did choose or did not choose or what their stories were. And I don't want to come in and say, you didn't choose this. And the statistics say, and all this stuff, you know, cause I don't know who they are and they don't know who I am and I don't want to attack anybody. And, but I am trying to learn and find out if these things that I've, found online are true. And then when I come across perspective, it's like, you know, your uh, perspective. Um, for, again, I'm just like, I literally started this podcast smoking weed and talking about like just shit that is going on in Illinois. And then I knew somebody that went to into the legal sex industry. And so I have just done little Googling and I've found out all of these crazy fucking details. And I am by no means an investigative journalist. And it's just, again, crazy. Again, I'm not trying to diss on journalists that nobody's talking about this because plenty of people are. In fact, John Oliver recently did a piece and other people have done pieces on this subject. But, um, you know, it just feels like not not enough people are, are talking about the things that we talked about today. You know, right. they talk about all the other things. But I have never heard, I, like I have heard these details, but like I say, to hear them from multiple perspectives is pretty fucking crazy. You know? Yeah, it's, um, I'm, I'm kind of, hopefully this doesn't slam my credibility. I, I read like telegram and stuff and pot and conspiracy stuff <laughs> and no, I mean, stuff. And I can also tell you that for those who believe in ghosts, those brothels are very haunted. I've seen it. And you can edit that out if you if you think it'll just ruin the whole conversation, but they are. <laughs> no, no, I don't. I'm not going to edit, you know. Well, you yeah. got to think a lot of bad stuff happened in there and throughout the years. Those are old buildings, and that's an old area there. Yeah. So then, what are, just because if you have the time, I'm just curious. What, what are some of the things you've... Well, like, the, the biggest thing that I had was... Um, one day, uh, three light bulbs went down at the end of a hall. I was on graveyard shift. And me and the hostess decided to walk. I had surgery, so I couldn't climb up on the chair to change it. So I walked down with her, and she climbed up and changed it. There was like a really dark presence. And 
we both felt it. We're like, what up? Because it's true. I mean, three light bulbs went out at the same time at the end of the hall. We had that problem a lot. I come back up. My hostess says she felt like something slapped her in the face. Her face turned red and started swelling up. I'm looking at the camera down the hall, and all of a sudden, these thousands of what looked like orbs in the camera just going from all over the place. And I'm like, hey, guys, come here and look at this. And they were standing there staring, the driver, the bartender, me, the hostess. And so the bartender and driver are standing there, and, and me and the hostess try to walk down the hall again. And she goes all the way down the hall, but for some reason, I couldn't. I stopped. I don't know why. I just couldn't move. It's not like I tried. You know, have you ever just froze? And she came running back up, and we both ran in the office, and, and the driver says, those orbs just surrounded you and spun around you so much that we couldn't even see you for a minute. And she had a camisole and a hoodie on, a little tiny girl, pulled it up, had three big fresh scratch marks on her back. Huh. Like scrapes, like big scrapes down her back. She ran and pulled it off and there was no tears in her clothes or nothing. You know, and it's stuff and you'd see stuff in the cameras. And one time in the kitchen on graveyard, the the clean steam table pans that were sitting on the bottom flew out by themselves onto the floor. And I was what? so scared. The what flew out? We had a steam table and when we clean them, we put the steam pans on the bottom shelf. Mm. So there's these like metal plant pans sitting on a shelf, you know, big rectangle pans. They just flew out by themselves on the floor and I was there alone. Huh. I saw it on the camera. And I was so scared. I had to go to the bathroom. And not only that, the bathrooms had sensor lights and they were going off and on by themselves in the parlor. I literally went outside to pee. I was so scared. Yeah, this is pretty crazy. I, I guess the only thing I'll say, just again, I, just because I'm also just frankly, I'm not skeptical of your story, but I'm just always skeptical of ghost things. I'm not saying that I haven't experienced things that have been crazy with groups of people, but I just want to try to ask you, you did say there's a lot of electrical issues there in the is. bunny room. So I just wonder if it was like, you know, a combination of electrical issues and whoever installed that security system, maybe they didn't fucking run the wire correctly. So it's like maybe distortion or some shit. I don't know. I'm just trying to like, that's a possibility, but I don't know if electricity had anything to do with the steam tables. Oh, fair. Flying out. And there was nobody around. I I got out, walked around. I'm like, Oh my gosh. But Mm. either way, I mean, I called Northern Nevada ghost hunters and they went through one night and found some stuff. That's pretty fucking crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I want to be clear. I'm not skeptical of you, but I think it's always, it's always healthy to approach things with skepticism and you see how I use some of your details to try to explain some things. So I wouldn't have believed it if someone told me, trust me. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So, um, that's, that's, pretty insane i've heard i have also heard other stories about that though frankly it's actually funny it's a plot line in cat house so i ended up buying cat house because it was on ebay pretty cheap and i just wanted to see what it was because i had always when i started doing this research i kept hearing about cat house cat house you know dennis hoff cat house and so i bought it and yeah one of the episodes they're talking about some ghost named charlie or something and they're like, stop saying there's a ghost. Oh, actually, maybe that's off the chicken ranch. I don't know. They're like, stop saying there's a ghost named Charlie. It's scaring the customers. <laughs> you know? Well, 
I have a copy of a picture. If I can find it, I will send it to you on Twitter through Messenger. Sure. Um, Dennis said, if anyone saw this, if they sh anyone showed this picture, they'd be fired. Um, it's got something in the back, and I, I'll just if I find it, I'll just send it to you, and you you decide what to think about it. Okay. It's a, there's he's sitting there with two girls, and behind there's this horrible distorted face, and nobody was standing there in plain sight. Someone took a picture. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. You got to find this picture for me. This sounds crazy. If it's crazy. on my computer, because uh, my son has cleaned out my computer, but I will look for it and try to get it to you. Awesome. Yeah. Well, well cool. But, so Torin ultimately sent me this photo and uh, I'm going to display it now, but I'll just show you. It's actually available online right now. So if you go on Instagram, the handle is Bunny Ranch Babes, and I'm about to share the screen right now. Before I show the picture itself, if you look at this picture right here, which I have my mouse over, it's actually a photo of Dennis and Kiki Lover, who, as I mentioned earlier, is featured on episode number four. Uh, and she's also returning for what I'm calling a tell-all interview. If you want to check that out, once again, it's thecolememo.com slash sex. Here in the bottom right-hand corner is the photo she was referring to. And this is the figure or the ghost she was claiming is present. Um, you know, so that's the photo. And uh, feel free to zoom in on that if you'd like. But uh, that's the figure that they're referring to. They say you can kind of see the body outline here, what looks like an arm and a, a face. And they claim that nobody was there. I do also believe that somebody else told me in the photo that like maybe somebody was walking there, but definitely no face was there. Either way, um, just kind of an interesting photograph. So just wanted to share that for you. I mean, there were good times there. I, I, I never laughed so hard in my life with some of the girls' stories. Like a girl had a customer and they were both really drunk and this guy's an alcoholic and she had a Valentine's Day butt plug with a heart on it or something. And it got stuck up his butt and he found it the next day and he, he messaged her and, and she was mad because he wouldn't bring it back to her, you know, sort of stories like that. I mean, it was pretty funny, you know, to hear him talk, but um, <clears throat> I, I wouldn't, you know, I would love to go back and hear those stories again. But for the worst part, the way they were treated, I just didn't like it, it, it the whole industry. And, and it's the same with strip bars, too. You know, I was a stripper owner some owners trying to pimp you out or you know ask for favors or take all your money and and just talk I, I had an owner call me a fucking snake you know no respect for the girls we're just a you know commodities I don't even think that that industry the girls are human to them yeah and Dennis told uh, one of the girls told me that um, how much he made. It was quite profitable. I know he was worth about 52 million when he died. And he said, he, he said that the girls give him half. It's quite possible. And then he, he's added to it that they're stupid because they're drug addicts and stuff. Is this like a public statement he made or something you heard? He made it to a couple girls that he was talking to. I think he was having oh. dinner with them and they told, and I believe it because they were, they couldn't believe it either. They were, you know, they were working girls. The cat house series made it look like one big happy family. Mm -hmm. Other than the fact that they wanted us to call, wanted especially the working girls to call Dennis and Suzette mommy and daddy, you know, what was to me was disgusting. 
Yeah. You know, I'm going to go sleep with all these strange men and you're going to take half, but I'm going to call you daddy. <laughs> that's just another, that's just a legal pimp. Man. I mean, I'm sure after this conversation, I'm going to have a ton of memories come up, you know, and if anything good happens, I'll message you. Yeah, please write it down and write, you know, just write your general idea down and I'd love to talk to you again. Yeah. yeah. Well, they, they dangle a carrot in front of our faces, staff. Oh, if you book this much, you get this much pay, these bonuses that I told you about earlier. So a lot of the managers would manipulate the girls to party with people they didn't want to to get that bonus. Mm -hmm. And if you didn't have money on the books during your shift, if you had a zero day, you'd get wrote up and get in trouble. It's they crazy. wanted girls to call their customers and, and have them put tips on the book. And I asked, I'm like, I'm graveyard. How many customers do you think would like to have a call at four o'clock in the morning from a hooker asking for money? You know, they just didn't think. <laughs> I, I don't, I really, the more I think about it, cause you've got me thinking, I don't think there's a way to make it uh, without abuse in that industry. Yeah. You know, hookers, they have a stigma about them and guys think they can treat them any way that you can bend them like a pretzel. You can knock their uterus out, you know, and they, and they like it cause you paid them. So it's, I did, and a lot of the girls, most of the, including myself, most of the girls, working girls that I talked to were all sexually abused when they were young. Yeah. It has a mental thing on you, you know, years later when I've read books about it because I was a victim, you know, it, it really does. It, it, you have no boundaries after that. It's hard to get back. You can't even have a relationship. Yeah. And what you're saying maybe is that when you lose those boundaries, that that's when you start to consider, well, if I can do that and get paid, why not? Yeah. Exactly. You know, and then they fall into pimps, you know, glamorizing it, or they fall in love with a pimp or a lot of them, they were husbands that were pretty much uh, sitting at home while the wives made all the money. And, and I, I would consider that a pimp too, not, not a street pimp like some of them had, but, you know, and, and the girls would cry because they didn't make any money and they have bills and their husband's going to be mad, you know? Yeah. It, it's just, it, it's a very emotional and it's it's taxing on your body and your mind you know unless you're paying for a big degree or something uh, i don't know why you just get stuck into it and you and no normal girl from a rich family who's been to college will rarely go do that and unless they just want to i've had a couple just want to try it for a week they're on vacation And did are you saying that did happen sometimes? Sometimes. I had a lady came in. She didn't book at all, but she did a two-week tour from Seattle. She was a nurse, didn't need the money, just took a vacation to go there, and she would blog about it. Blog about her experience in the brothel? Yeah, I never read it because, you know, everybody had blogs. I had a lady who got fired from the sagebrush just a few weeks ago look me up on Facebook trying to do a GoFundMe because she said she she got fired, wouldn't say why, because she's working on a documentary about herself and wanted money to finish it. And I'm like, lady, I don't know you, you know? 
I'll do a documentary. Shoot. <laughs> yeah, let's make one. <laughs> That's funny. You know, it's on, um, and my daughter did work there for a couple of years as a, as a, I told you she was a close friend of mine, but she happened to be my daughter. I brought her on. She did really well. She's the one that, uh, got stuck cleaning up that raw sewage link leak. Oh, and so she wasn't sick. a sex worker. No, she was a bartender. Gotcha. And uh, they wanted the hostess to clean up a whole bunch of sewage. And, and people got sick. And then Bunny Ranch, last I saw, it still smelled like mold and stuff. You know, you can't get that out of there. It's in the carpet. Yeah. And they, were, they didn't close it down either. They were still trying to do lineups around it and everything. Mm-hmm. Well, um, well, hey, we've we've covered a lot of ground today. Um, again, I want to invite you back on um, anytime. You know, if you think of anything, let me know, and we can hop on just like we did now. I'm not always as flexible as we just did. It's a Sunday, and I happen, you know, to be flexible. But we can work these things out, you know, and make sure that well, these stories are told. Well, I appreciate it. It's been tough, you know. One thing that let me let me be honest here. Can you? T- I hope that you can appreciate that I'm trying to approach this from a unbiased perspective. Um, uh, and you know, somebody commented on one of my promotions that I did with a sex worker and they basically, um, said, you know, that, uh, they said, imagine being so used to hating women that you think the degradation, dehumanization and humiliation of women have anything in common with plant medicine instant unfollow so they unfollowed me it's like okay yeah because i said because i said there were i said there were um similarities between legal cannabis and the legal sex industry yeah but they just took that on face value and didn't like they i you know this is this has started to roll out slowly and they've obviously not seen the full context of what i meant by that again i was referencing the bad working conditions obviously there's not a lot of similarities between the weed industry and the legal sex industry obviously right (laughs) <laughs> but at a, you know so anyways i and i don't know i just wanted to read that comment because you know we've had this conversation today and and one of the things i replied to them and i said you know hey uh you know i'd appreciate if you checked out the full context of this um if not though whatever see you later you know um but you know i think that based on what you said if you check out the full context of my interviews you might actually be surprised to hear my angle on this Right. And um, yeah, they were basically just like, well, if you're inter- if you're interviewing working girls themselves, that in and of itself is a problem. And I'm like, look, I'm going to interview whoever's willing to talk to me, both working girls, people like you that were just staff members, anything else. And I want to give them again. I have a fucking chef that cooked for Dennis Hoff. I gave her the airtime to tell. like I'm giving people the opportunity to tell their stories and, um, you know. I don't really know where to sit on this either. Like you, I, well, I, I, it sounds like you're kind of, yes, yeah, slowly evolving to the point where it's like, there's not really a way where abuse can't be involved. And I yeah. think I can, I can see where you're coming from on that. There's just something about how I feel about cannabis criminalization that I just, I feel like we've learned that criminalizing it isn't the issue now. Like, it's like, so I wanted to cut in here because I definitely misspoke. I just said something to the effect of criminalizing it isn't the issue. Uh, what I meant to say, criminalizing it is not the solution. I believe decriminalization is the end all, be all, first and foremost, primary 
it is the first and foremost goal. Legalization and licensing and all of that stuff comes second. Um, first, you stop throwing people in jail. I do not believe the criminal justice system is equipped to deal with these types of uh, activities, especially when it involves consenting adults. So I just wanted to be very clear that I'm supportive, completely supportive of decriminalization. I feel like we're still working out the kinks in legalization, but again, first and foremost, decriminalization has to happen. And then second, we can talk about legalization, how to set up a legal regulated structure. Like the sex act itself, it's like you got to figure out how, how to charge people for the human trafficking part of it. But I, I right. get that that gets a little tough, you know? Right. Because they almost go hand in hand. Yeah. Um, a lot of it is, I believe, you know. Um, they tried to say it wasn't trafficking, but I'm sure there was some trafficking going through there. One time we had a bunch of girls, and I know you're running short on time. We had like about five or six girls that all knew each other that came from up from South America and they were there for a week, and I believe they were all trafficked because they they left abruptly all at the same time. I think their pimp realized they weren't making the money that they could and wow. put them back. Oh, they wow. were all from the same place. You know, when we had little things like that, people coming through, I had a lady that she was my age. She was there. She said she was trafficked, that when she was 19, she got tricked by someone and had to sleep in a crate and was trafficked in places in Mexico and stuff. And the only reason she was still alive is because the they owed someone a favor. So they pretty much sold her to a couple of pimps who were a little bit nicer. This is insane. It definitely happens, you know. <laughs> I mean, there's, yeah. I, I, I'd sit and talk to the girls and get to know them. And they all had, their stories were about the same. They always started out with being abused or you know, trafficked or raped, you know, one, her father would take her to truck stops when she was 14. Yeah. You know, it's all those kinds of stories. So these girls aren't healthy coming in mentally, honestly, most of them. Yeah. Now, again, again, I'm not trying to like extend this or anything, but an interview I saw Dennis Hoff, he took that on exactly. And he said, you look at any industry who happened to be at an MSNBC building, he said, I'm sure there's a percentage of people here that were touched by their father or molested. That happens in society. Um, so did it happen to maybe some of the people that worked at the Bunny Ranch? Maybe, but that happens in society. Interesting reply. How cavalier. <laughs> <laughs> he was yeah. good at what he did. You got to give him that. Yeah, well, I... I, I mean, uh, as far him. as like, you know, talking and stuff. I'm about to play the moment of the interview that I was referring to uh, in this part of the podcast. Once again, it's the Should Prostitution Be Legal clip from MSNBC. Uh, I encourage you to watch the full clip yourself, uh, but here is the moment that I was referring to. When you say, when you say, okay, why did they stay? They were making money because in their minds, they can't leave. Oh, do you get that? Do you not get that? Do you I, not I get, get it. Of course, I get it. Do you I not get, get that sometimes they don't have parents and brothers and sisters to help them out? Well, this girl had parents and brothers and sisters. I knew them. The mother was fine with it. She went on TV shows with me. She's on Dr. Drew. She talked about how well she was okay. treated. Let me ask you this. Okay. So there was a trial. Maybe you even followed this. There was a trial. Father, son, pimp, team. 
and they had all of their girls come and testify. This went on in New York, okay? And there are so many girls who come from families of prostitution. I am sure that some of your girls have come from families where the mother's a prostitute, the father's the pimp, are you not aware there's of that? A, there's a percentage of every. There's girls in, in this building that have been molested by, by family members, too. So what? So it, that is in a your factor. Building. That, yes, of course, okay. in this room. And, and every, it's society. That's what happens in society. And that's how these girls get damaged. Okay, let me, don't, don't, let me, let me ask you a Not every Wait. girl has been through this. Um, no, no, you're right. It's Please. only like 85 to 90 percent. You, need, right. to come there. you need to come there like Diane Sawyer and other people and look at it and then say this. When, when New Yorker magazine wrote about me, tw uh, 12 pages, I said, I want to know if, if you want to talk about incestuous relationships or molestations, I want to answer in an unedited manager manner. When it was over with, I said, we don't want to talk about it because we know it's not any different than the rest of the society. We asked the girls. Hey, you. So that was the clip that I was referring to. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Yeah, he used to like to candy coat it a lot. And his, his motto was, um, even bad publicity sells pussy, is what he would tell reporters. <laughs> yeah. So he didn't, and towards the end, he kind of knew he was dying. He was having all these pool parties at his, uh, home in Carson City and orgies and stuff and drugs and the he would drag all the girls out so no one was working. I wow. think he knew he was circling the drain. But anyway, I won't keep you much longer. If I can come up with anything else, I will message it to you. Can, can I by any chance get a copy of this interview? Absolutely, you can. You can just put it in my message. Do you mind if I post it on a Patriot site? Yeah, we'll talk about that uh, once we once we hop off air. But absolutely, okay. um, I just wanted to say before we hop off air, just formally, thank you again. And uh, again, I'm looking forward to talking to you again. I'm sure we will chat again. So, um, audience, I hope you enjoyed the show. I'm sure you found some value in it. I hope it was entertaining. Sure, I don't mean to say it like it was fucked up, but I, I it was intriguing. How about yeah, that? Yeah, it's informative. Captures your intention. It's informative. All that stuff. So, anyways. Follow me for more recipes. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Folks, I hope you found value in this episode of the Cole Memo. If you'd like to get a copy of Beyond, sorry, Behind the Poll by Tor and Rochelle, just look at the link in the podcast description. You can get yourself a copy. Folks, once again, I hope you found value in this episode. I know that uh, we covered a lot of uh, what some might consider to be negative topics but i believe that uh these this topic and um other topics like it should be able to withstand scrutiny in other words the legalization of drugs the legalization of sex work i believe should embrace all critiques so that we can work out any kinks and again i, I believe that because these systems are rooted in justice or these ideas maybe are rooted in you know a more just society uh, they should be able to stand up to scrutiny and so once again i hope you found value in this conversation and i hope you check out the rest of the episodes that we have at thecolememo.com slash sex